0: Friends, once again, my name is Mitchell Boone. I'm the senior pastor here. And if you're uh, here with us this morning or online, it's a good day to be in church because we're starting a brand new worship series and we're calling it Grappling with God, Untangling Difficult or Tough Scriptures. And this series is going to really invite us, I think, into a place where we will be well, kind of forced to deal with texts that we often don't want to deal with. Texts that reveal difficult things or themes within Scripture, uncomfortable themes as we engage with Scripture are going to emerge. And now here's the overarching goal, and I want to be really clear about this. It's not to debunk or to rewrite the text so we can go back to never reading them again, (laughs) right? That's not what we're going to be doing. Uh, It's not what we're—that's not our goal. Our goal is to help us gain an appreciation for Scripture that embraces the complexity and allows us to get comfortable with ambiguity and ultimately teaches us to kind of latch on uh, to Scripture, treating Scripture more like the worthy sparring partner it is than a fragile, unquestionable idol that we've become accustomed to believing in. So today we're going to look at the story of Jacob, wrestling with an angel or with God, depending on how you interpret that text. A fun fact, it was this text, it was the very first sermon I preached here at White Rock. Uh, And as I start my 10th year, all of your clergy have been reappointed, by the way. I forgot to say that last week. We're all (laughs) still here. Sorry. Um, We, uh, I don't have any idea what I said in that sermon 10 years ago. You may know doubtful, but you may. But I do know how anxious I was to stand in that pulpit and preach in front of you all. And in, so in some ways, I, I'm starting to feel that anxiety again, not because um, I'm anxious about preaching, but I'm just anxious about what we've decided to do as a staff and as a church over the next four weeks, because it's going to be challenging and hard, but ultimately, I think it's going to be really rewarding. And so we look at this piece of scripture in Genesis 32 uh, to help us gain um, gain the tools necessary or the inspiration necessary to do the work. To also help us do this work each week, we're going to kind of set the space because some of the texts are going to be rather challenging. And we're going to set this space and prepare ourselves uh, for the morning's text by singing together because we do that well here. So Rebecca is going to lead us in in this kind of space setting ritual um, as we kind of find our spiritual footing before the text is read. So hopefully this will help us get into the same uh, state of mind and also collectively ask God to bless us in our time together.
1: Will you sing after me? Come out, come out of your comfortable spaces, come out, come out. In the difficult places, come me, Jesus. In the difficult places, come out, come out of your comfortable spaces. Come out, come out of your comfortable spaces. Come me, Jesus. In the difficult places. Places come me, Jesus, in the difficult places. Come out, come out of your comfortable spaces. Come out, come out of your comfortable spaces. Come me, Jesus, in the difficult places. Come me, Jesus, in the difficult places in the difficult places, call me Jesus in the difficult
0: places, amen. So our reading this morning is Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise, everything that he had, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. And then the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. So... When Eli and I moved out of our house on Andrea Lane over in Casa View near Harry Stone, um, I was responsible for the garage, making sure that the garage got moved from one location well into many locations because we don't have a garage at our new house. And so I was responsible for that move, which um, as garages seem to do, fill up with unnecessary stuff right? Y'all's garage like that? My, ours was like that, right? It was filled with uh, so much stuff um, that the attempts of organizing the garage of years past were indeed um, shielded. I could not see them because of all the chaos that was existing in our garage at the time. We uh, were keeping a lot of like baby stuff different baby clothes uh, that cash grew out of, a lot of stuff that people donated to us thinking that cash would want to wear that particular thing. We had just a lot of baby stuff. We also just had a lot of junk, right? And so um, moving is already a pain, but moving is more of a pain when you have to move a lot of your junk that you don't even really want because it's in the garage, right? But I prevailed, I got everything moved, except a few months ago we received word that an old box remained behind, and that box was full of desert rose china, which was one of a few sets of china my grandmother owned, and I had left it behind. Now, the jury is still out on whether I left that behind intentionally or not, uh, but nonetheless, We got the two boxes of Desert Road China back, which quickly were lost again for two weeks behind the car seat in the back of my car. Um, And now those boxes of China live in my parents' garage. The circle has now become complete. And here's the reason why this desert rose china lives in boxes in varying garages all over Dallas. The reason is this. No one wants it. That's really why. (laughs) No one wants this china. While vinyl is kind of having a resurgence or a renaissance, the value of most antiques is and that includes Desert Rose China. I know that because I checked on eBay. Uh, you can get it real cheap. In fact, I can get you some Desert Rose China real, real cheap if you really want some. And, and, it ha- and here's the real reason no one really wants it, right? No one really wants it because we would never use it. That's why we don't have it in our house. We would never use China. China has lost all appeal, I think, to my generation. A special set of dishes and bowls and cups and saucers and saucer plates and serving bowls and gravy boats that are so fragile, you can only wash them by hand and you can only use them once or twice a year. No thanks, that's just taking up way too much room in my house, right? And yet we hold on to these relics of the past. Now here's the difficult truth. Too often we approach scripture Like a set of our great grandma's china. It's true. We rarely interact with it, with the Bible in any way that resembles real life. We keep it propped up on a shelf, only taking it down for special occasions. And we are often so worried about the fragility of the Bible that we take it at face value. And this idea of wrestling then with Scripture is completely foreign and seems, well, inherently wrong. Which leaves huge portions of the text unexamined. Leaves huge portions of the text Unexamined, And so we skip over the uncomfortable bits of Scripture, hoping that the palpable portions, the Psalms, the Gospels, parts of the Gospels, Those palpable portions will suffice and curb our appetite for the looming existential questions that we will come face to face with. But a holy text, here's here's what I want to say this morning. A holy text that can't withstand our struggles and pain and anger and questions and doubt is not a holy text. It is a breathless idol rooted in cultural tradition, and it is not the gospel. A Bible that does not reach up and demand our attention, our struggle, our, fru- our frustration, is simply a bag of dry bones. So reclaiming the text as a rightful partner in the struggle is important for our own spiritual development. It is also necessary if we're going to take the sharing of the gospel— the good news of Jesus Christ seriously. We cannot share the good news, the totality of the good news of the gospel unless we are willing to struggle with scripture. So the question is, where do we start? We did not start with one of the difficult texts I met. I wanna be very clear. Next week's text is really challenging. But I do think we start with Jacob, and particularly Jacob's willingness to wrestle all night, I think it's a really good place for us, right? Because the story of Jacob wrestling with an unnamed man at the Ford of the Jabbok uh, all night long is one of the stranger episodes in the Old Testament. Now, there are a lot of strange episodes in Scripture, and if you read Scripture and engage with Scripture, you will find very strange stories all throughout it. This is one of the stranger ones because Jacob has sent his family away. They're gone. Sent them away across the river. He's also sent all of his stuff. Just think about that. Everything of value to Jacob is moved across the river and he's no longer near him. He is not in proximity to that kind of that, that stuff that he, he, he desperately knows and cares about. He is alone. He's bare, and he is um, stripped down. It's just Jacob, right? And Jacob then suddenly finds himself in a struggle of real consequence, a struggle uh, with a stranger who he wrestles with all night long. Now, as readers, we aren't given any indication why they are wrestling, and we are given no indication of who started the fight. We have no idea. All we know is that Jacob is wrestling with a stranger all night long, and, and we know that Jacob refuses to stop fighting. Seemingly frustrated, the angel, man or God, depending on how you read the text, reaches out and touches Jacob's hip, dislocating it. And still, Jacob doesn't give up. Still, Jacob remains intertwined with his opponent, and he won't let go until he is blessed. And while the stranger never reveals his identity or never reveals an identity, Jacob, right, receives a new name, Israel, the one who struggles with God and humankind and prevails, right? And after the match, Jacob names the place of the encounter Peniel, which means seen God face to face and lived, which is a big deal. So it's Jacob actually that names that stranger as God. And so if we take Jacob at Jacob's word, it is God incarnate has come down to wrestle with Jacob all night long. Why? We don't really know, the text doesn't tell us. Now we can gain a lot of context if we read Genesis 30, 31, 32, and 33, but the truth is that here in this portion of text, we do not know why it takes place. All we know is that Jacob is blessed by the encounter. And while the story seems to be missing some key details in a little better context, Jacob wrestling with God acts as an animating force that illustrates and sustains how we need scripture as a sparring partner. It is right here that I want us to kind of gravitate and kind of latch on to for the next four weeks that this scene with Jacob wrestling. In close proximity, this intimate setting with a stranger refusing to let go until he is blessed is how I want us to approach Scripture over the next several weeks. But I do realize that that's easier said than done. Because moving from a Bible with the attributes of a 150-year-old serving platter (laughs) to a real foe in a wrestling match is a large shift for us. And it's a difficult shift because for a lot of us, we've never been taught to read the Bible through a lens of, um, of curiosity or question. We've not been taught to read the Bible uh, through this lens of um, doubt. We have only been taught to take the Bible at face value. Many of us grew up with the idea that Scripture is not only primary, but the final authority on all questions. Some of us in this room, I know it because I know your stories, have fallen victim to a Bible that has been weaponized and caused a lot of trauma. So the intimacy that is required to wrestling with the text, uh, that, that intimacy that's required in the struggle with our Holy Scripture is just demanding too much from us, from folks who have been hurt by how others have interpreted the text. And others of us have been led to believe that the Bible is the fourth person of the Trinity. Thus, the status of Scripture has been so elevated that it is out of our reach. Truth is, solving through all of this is beyond a summer worship series that uh, you may or may not engage with fully, right? But here, right here, right now, this idea of us wrestling with Scripture like Jacob wrestles with God is a really good place for us to begin. And we do so knowing that if we're going to take this task seriously, we have to develop trust in the act of wrestling with our holy text. Trust that it can withstand all we can throw at it. Like Jacob, we have to refuse to let go or surrender. And trust that our struggle with Scripture is one that will indeed lead to a blessing. This hermeneutic of trust, as Esau uh, Macaulay refers to it in his work, Reading While Black... a really fantastic book on reading scripture as a black man in America, I think starts with us finding the space to be then generous with scripture. If we're going to actually enter into this relationship with scripture, we have to be generous with how we engage with it. We, can, we need to allow ourselves to give scripture the benefit of the doubt. That does not mean simply assuming the best of the text. Rather though, it demands from us a real struggle with with difficult portions of Scripture, a struggle that we take on because we believe in the Bible and we believe, we take that belief seriously, seriously enough that we're willing to argue with it, right? A lot of churches say they take the Bible seriously, but the truth is they don't take it seriously, they just put it out of reach. They just put it out of reach so that it is protected, wrapped in bubble wrap and put in a box and left in the garage. So when I say we take the Bible seriously here, it doesn't mean that we take the Bible literally, but it does mean that we take Scripture uh, and we want to, to create a space where Scripture becomes our sparring partner. We take the Bible seriously. Because we take it seriously, we're going to bring our whole selves when we read the text. We're not going to leave any portion of who we are or what has happened in our life out of that reading. Now, that doesn't change what Scripture says, but it does change how we interact with Scripture. And ultimately, if we stay in the struggle long enough, I do believe that God will bless us in the midst of how we pursue an understanding of difficult text. It is really, really important that you hear me say that, though we do take the Bible seriously. We just do not take it literally. That distinction is important. So for the next four weeks, we're going to struggle with scripture. We're going to look at it. We're gonna look at passages that are repulsive. We're gonna look at passages that make us uncomfortable. We're going to look at passages that we disagree with. We're gonna look at passages that are so wild, they make little sense in our context today. And this series will hopefully propel us to to see scripture as a wrestling partner. It is intended to be. But to get there, to do this difficult holy work, we must learn to trust in the work. Trust that Scripture, when struggled with, honestly will bring a blessing and not a curse. And this this is how we get there. This is how we learn to trust. We learn to trust because we're going to do this work together in community. That's how we can trust this process. We're going to do this work together because we believe as a church, we, we say it every week, we believe that God is active, that the Holy Spirit is moving, and we believe when Jesus says where two or more are gathered, the risen Christ is present, we believe in that. So as we move through the next several weeks, collectively as a community, we can trust this process. We can't trust that it won't make us uncomfortable. We can't trust that it will not uh, result in us having more questions or bubbling up some doubt within us. We can't trust any of that, but what we can trust is that the struggle in and of itself is holy, and if we do it together, God will ultimately bless us in that work. So, friends... Let's boldly engage over the next four weeks grappling with Scripture so we can receive a blessing, not a blessing that we hold on to for our own edification, but a blessing that then we can go share with the world so that others may be blessed by how we've come to understand the living God revealed to us in Scripture and confirmed as we gather together as a body of Christ week in and week out. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we trust that you are a God who has given us the beautiful gift of intellect, the challenging gift of doubt. You are a God who has given us the ability to ask hard questions, and you have given us a room full of folks that love one another, and most importantly, love you. So may we enter into this journey together, knowing that Scripture is not always easy, but that we can always be blessed when we engage in it, with it, and struggle alongside it. May we take our task seriously so that we may be a blessing to others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.